This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. This is Brandon Kelly, the host of Blue Wire's new podcast, Golden Goal. From Lionel Messi to Marta to Pele. Our show takes a deep dive into soccer superstars. From Zlatan Ibrahimovic's brash confidence with the play to back it up, to Megan Rapino's heroic outspokenness and World Cup flair. Each episode examines a personality of the world's game. We'll dig into Maradona's Hand of God performance and subsequent downfall. The teenage trio at Dortmund that signaled the next generation of superstars. And that infamous headbutt that slung Zinedine Zidane from glory. Golden Goal. Soccer stars and the moments that made them. Premiering this summer on Blue Wire. To Prospects 101. This is the show where we break down football prospects from all levels. We're talking high school recruiting, college transfers, uh, college football in general, in general, the NFL draft, and NFL prospects. And as always, Prospects 101 is brought to you by our great partners and big supporters of the show, and that's Blue Wire Pods and Bet Online. Now, remember, you can always interact with Prospects 101 on social media. That's at Prospects. 101 pod and we are on facebook twitter and instagram it's great for you to follow us because that's where we release all of our new content great way to stay up to date with all of our new episodes and we're always posting out stuff throughout there of the week which is fantastic so great way for you guys to stay involved and know uh what's going on with the show and especially as we approach college football here in 2020 now as always joined by my first co-host who received a special package today from a potential sponsor and that is Kenny Keller. Yeah, pretty cool. I don't want to give away too much right now because it just came in, but I know I will be giving you a product testimonial probably some point next week about this potential new sponsor, so stay tuned for some big news. It'll make you feel fresh and free, won't it? <laughs> that's, the, that's the idea. That's the idea. That's right. And uh, also join second co-host who is so dedicated to the show that he's doing it remotely on his phone, and that's Brandon Pastel. Washington sucks. Haven't had a quarterback in the last decade. What else oh can I say gosh. about the Pac-12 right now? <laughs> oh None of that's gosh. true, by the way. <laughs> that we've that's that's just not factual. But ask, that's him okay. the, ask him. Ask him how many times Virginia Tech has made the playoff. 
Yeah, 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 I don't know, Brandon. Okay. Do you want to answer that? Uh, I don't. Just go When's the last time Virginia Tech had a quarterback <laughs> taken in the first round? Yeah, we specialize at cornerback. Mm-hmm. That's what I thought. Okay. <laughs> and and we have a special guest with us tonight, guys, talking Pac-12. That's what he specializes in as a USC fan. Uh, he is one of the co-hosts of College Football Bros podcast. Uh, you can follow him on Twitter at CFB Bros, and that's Michael Newman. Mike, how you doing tonight? I'm great. Thanks a lot, guys, for having me. Yeah, thank, thanks for joining us. We figured uh, since we're talking about the Pac-12, this is the perfect opportunity uh, to have you on. And honestly, our fans are probably listen are so sick of listening to the three of us <laughs> just give our own hot takes on all this stuff. So it's good to have a good neutral college football expert on the show so thanks for joining us mike yeah i'll try uh, to be neutral i mean i love my trojans but i'll do what i can yeah hey man 2005 trojans still the best college football team i've ever seen <laughs> oh gosh i i th- i hate that they lost to texas because that would have been like the greatest modern day dynasty ever i know dude this is horrible but i was watching reggie bush film in my bed at like 1 a.m probably like two or three days ago and I just can't get over why he wasn't that successful in the NFL. Like, I just can't get over like he was just so dynamic and so fast. Like why did he not work out in the NFL? I just don't get it. Yeah. Do you do you think do you think he was just too far ahead of his time? Like obviously, I think Reggie Bush today fits way more into the NFL than Reggie Bush in 2005. I agree with that 100%. Yeah, his ability to catch the ball out of the backfield, got to think he would have had a better career. I mean, it was still a, a decent career in the yeah. NFL, but you're right. I thought he was going to be dominant. Right. I mean, I think I, I think, think one of the I, I think Gless, all three of us, you know, and, and Mike, I don't know if, if you agree with this as well, but I think we've all said that he's probably the best college football player we've ever seen in our lifetime. Yeah, I would say so. The most exciting, at the very least. But yeah. Yeah, definitely him, and kind of one of the unsung heroes of that team, and a lot of us we don't talk, but he actually had a decent pro career, was Lendell White. Yeah. It's funny, if you listen to the Texas team, you know, when they talk about that championship game uh, in the Rose Bowl in 2005, they're like, dude, we we just couldn't stop that guy. I mean, just 230 pounds, running power, and he was getting four or five yards, and then the play, when it came down to it, Fourth and one, didn't get it. That still irks uh, me when I watch that play. It, it really does. I, I, I almost can't watch it because I know what's going to happen, and it just infuriates me because I remember I was sitting in my basement with my brother, and we're rooting for the Trojans so bad because I'm such a big Pete Carroll fan, um, Sarkeesian fan, and, and, and all that, and I just loved everything they did there, and I just – I still can't believe it. I'm I'm salty, guys. I'm salty. <laughs> you know what it is? I'm, I'm it thankful karma. that I – Go ahead. Uh, I was going to say I'm thankful that I was – it was before I was a student at USC, so I was actually hardcore cheering for Texas that game. Oh, wow. Wow. It doesn't have negative memories for me. (laughs) That's funny. All right. Well, let's get into it, guys. Talk about the state of the conference. Again, you know, for those who have been listening to our podcast the last month, know that, you know, we're taking all of the conferences uh, in college football and we're breaking it down into, you know, three-part – uh, three-part series. So, you know, first podcast, we really discuss uh, all the teams at length, uh, big storylines, you know, who's going to come up, what we think, how they're going to finish, uh, follow up with a, a prospect show where we cover the prospects for these conferences, and then ultimately try to bring on uh, one to two guests, whether they're beat writers or uh, a college football head coach, which we've had on here, which is exciting. Um, 
you know, but definitely get somebody third party outside in order to talk about the conference. So gone through the ACC, we've gone through the Mountain West, we've gone through Conference USA, have had some great episodes, but guys, another Power Five conference we're going to cover tonight, a conference that's certainly close to my heart. I know it is for Michael as well, uh, and that's the Pac-12. Uh, and a lot of news came out about the Pac-12 today because they announced that they will only be playing in-conference games. Now, this is one uh, of several announcements from other Power Five conferences uh, due to COVID-19 and how they're going to curtail this and to be able to keep their student-athletes safe. But with not only playing in-conference ga- games, guys, I think for me as a Pac-12 fan, as University of Washington fan, there is no University of Washington versus Michigan on opening weekend. There is no Oregon-North Dakota State, which I thought was a sneaky good game to watch just because they're mm-hmm. so different. No Oregon-Ohio State and no USC-Alabama, all four of those big-time matchups that I had circled. Um, you know, how do you guys take the news today, and what do you think? Yeah, I think – I, I mean, I – I took it one of two ways. I'm bummed because I think Oregon-Ohio State was probably the best non-conference game in the entire country. You know, that was that, that had playoff implications written all over it. You, you had Ohio State as dominant as they have, as dominant as an offense they have, going up against probably the best defense in the country in Oregon. So that was – I was really looking forward to that game. And like you said, all really all the non-conference games that you just mentioned are, are phenomenal games to watch. But at the same time, I also think it gives us hope because now – you know they're just going to play in-conference games, and now there's going to be clear protocols for every team. It's not going to be the wild, wild west. Every team's going to be – they're going to be under the same guidelines given out by the Pac-12 commissioner. And, you know, I think it just leads to more uniform rules and testing and protocol that, you know, if everything starts to kind of turn in the right direction, it just allows all these conferences to – move forward and not have a bunch of just, you know, 10 heads running, running the entire NCAA. Yeah. I think this gives us the the best chance for football in the fall. And I'm glad they made it relatively early this decision so that they, like you said, have time to set up all these protocols and testing. And um, I'm hoping this isn't a precursor to delaying the whole season, but you know, they're, they're going to give it their best shot here. So I'm hoping it works out. It kind of sucks. The fact that like some of these rivalry games, aren't always in conference as well. Like the Rocky Mountain Showdown, I'm assuming that's not a thing now. Like Colorado will not play Colorado State, which is probably their biggest game of the year, which is kind of upsetting kind of seeing the trend. I mean, I Uh agree. I love that we still have college football, but like the fact that you won't be playing rivalries out of conference is kind of upsetting too. Yeah, USC USC Notre Dame also comes to mind. I mean, that that game's been played since, what, like the 30s? We're we're not going to get to see that played this year, which is super sad. Well, I was going to say, Pastor, you brought up Colorado. I think Mike might have an objection to their biggest game because oh, Colorado-Nebraska, I think, is the biggest out-of-conference game for both of their teams. You know, that's not going to happen now either. Yeah, it stinks to have uh, all these, these non-conference games canceled. Um, but but Colorado-Nebraska, they played the last couple of years, but I don't think they're playing this. Well, they're not going to play anyway now that it's <laughs> <laughs> non-conference has been canceled, but... As a USC fan, though, I'm more looking at uh, now that we're not playing Alabama, now I can talk trash because, of course, Alabama was, was probably going to win by at least two touchdowns. But now I can say, no, no, USC would have had them. <laughs> That's <for> right. Sure. <laughs> well, let's talk a little bit about uh, the state of the conference, the side of that. <clears throat> Guys, Pac-12 uh, in recent memory has really been ruled by the North. 
Uh, you talk about Oregon won it last year. Before that, University of Washington uh, had won two out of the previous three seasons. Uh, and then, of course, you have the Stanford program, which has always been extremely solid and competitive there. Uh, the South has kind of always been a crapshoot, and it's been that way for some time. Uh, Utah was the team last year that emerged from the South. Uh, I, I still feel like the Pac-12 and college football in general needs USC to be dominant again in order to make kind of the Pac-12 a premier Power 5 conference. I still believe it is. But without USC there, it's really a crapshoot who comes out of the South. Again, Utah was the team last year, had such a great defense down there, had some playmakers on offense. So I still think the South is a little bit of a crapshoot coming into 2020, while the North is a little bit more predictable. Yeah, I, I, I'm with you, Gless. I, I, I think there's a couple teams that could win the South, but really in, in the North. And I know UW has done really well recruiting and we talked about the blue chip ratio a couple weeks ago in a recruiting roundup show where UW was above that 50% mark but I still think Oregon runs runs the Pac-12 and they're still the Pac-12 team in the north for sure yeah let's go ahead and get it started fellas so we're going to start a new segment here opening coin flip so the goal with this is I'm going to ask you guys a question and I want I, I want to see you guys duke it out because I think it's a really, really good one. So we're going to split this very easy, the North and the South. Kenny, give me your best case that the Pac-12 winner is coming from the North. Well, I, I, one word, Oregon. I just said it. I mean, they're, they're a powerhouse. They're a powerhouse. I mean, you're talking about you're, they, have, they have probably the best player on offense in the country, at least the most dominant offensive lineman in the country in Penny Sewell. And then you have probably the most def- probably one of the best defensive players in the country in Kayvon Thibodeau, who last year as a true freshman was absolutely outstanding, and now you're going to get him in his true sophomore season. Uh, Oregon, nobody's going to score on Oregon defensively this year. I mean, they've got eight returning starters. You know, they're, they're absolutely elite on defense. They're going to be a top-five defense in the country. And look, they people can talk about all the all the offense they have to replace in Justin Herbert, but guys, Justin Herbert really wasn't elite. The the biggest thing that was elite about Justin Herbert was his size and arm potential. It was he was really never a guy who took over games, at least for at least stretches of times. Yeah, maybe he had a good game here or there, but he was never a guy who was gonna you know take over a season. He just never did that, and I don't think it's it's that that tough of a stretch to imagine Tyler Shuck, who's the lead candidate to replace Justin Herbert, to be Herbert-esque this year. And if he is, they're a playoff contender. I think even if he's below Herbert, he's a playoff, they're still a playoff contender. But they're the only team in the whole conference you could even make an argument that has a shot for the playoffs. So I, I think they're going to run away with the Pac-12. They're definitely going to sleepwalk into the Pac-12 championship for sure. And I think they're going to – I think it's like the ACC – Whoever wins the South is just going to have the misfortune of playing Oregon and getting throttled because I don't think they're going to score on them. And then Oregon, I mean, everybody forgets Oregon has one of the best running back tandems in the country, and C.J. Verdell and Travis Dye, both guys average 6.2 yards a carry. I mean, for the, all the talk of, oh, they got to replace all this stuff on offense, they just reload. I mean, they have top 10 recruiting classes every year. They're by far the preeminent team in the, in the Pac-12, and I don't think that's going to change. Kenny, Kenny, are you done? Like, I feel like you're, you're filling our listeners' heads with poison right now and this nonsense that Oregon's actually going to 
going to win the Pac-12 championship or go to the Pac-12 or no, win the Pac-12 championship. I mean, it's 100% USC all the way. Not only do they have the best quarterback in the Pac-12, they arguably have the third best quarterback in college football, you know, outside of Trevor Lawrence. And you picked your poison as far as Trey Lance and Justin Fields. But Keenan Slovis is the real deal. As a true freshman lit up the college world, and he's coming in, and everyone always says, if you talk to any major quarterback coach, the biggest leap is in a quarterback's career is from his freshman to his sophomore year. So Keenan Slovis is about to make that leap. Yes, they lost Michael Pittman, but they arguably have the best wide receiver core coming back to the Pac-12. You topple that on uh, to a decent offensive line that lost Austin Jackson, but they still had a pretty – Solid offensive line. Their defense has the likes of NFL caliber talents like Drake Jackson at linebacker, Jay Tufeli at defensive tackle, uh, Talon, uh, Tala Noah Kufanga, the safety uh, there. That these guys, you know, are all they're, they're all Pac-12 big time athletes. They're not playing Alabama anymore, so like the, the toughest game on their schedule is off of it. So they're going to run the Pac-12 South most likely, and they play Arizona State, I think, at USC in the Coliseum. So like their toughest game in the South, they're playing at home. They're going to run through them, and then they're going to run through the Ducks of Oregon in the Pac-12 championship just because they are they have, again, Ken, like what you said, Kenny, they have a brand-new offensive line outside the best offensive lineman, if not player in college football. They have four new offensive linemen. They don't know who their quarterback is at this point. It's a, in, in a shortened offseason with really no time to get your hands on these quarterbacks' offensive line, develop your scheme, develop your identity. I wouldn't be shocked if Oregon loses a game or two up front because they've had no time of preparation, which ultimately will hurt their chances of really making the Pac-12 championship um, oh, with a team with more with, with more experience and more, you know, leadership and seniors coming back that, you know, Oregon doesn't have. I'll give you Oregon has one of the best defenses in the Pac-12, but Mike, in the country. please help me out here, man. Give me a, a stronger case for USC winning this thing. Oof, I don't know. If I'm if I'm judging the debate here, I'm sorry. I think I got to go with Kenny. I hate to no. say it, but <laughs> I mean there's there's a Half lot to like a crow. Yeah, I mean if I'm making a case for USC, I hear you. The offense is going to be great, and the defense, you know, wasn't good last year. But you you mentioned the individual talent they have, and the fact you know there were a lot of injuries on that defense last year, so they should be better with with Todd Orlando coming in from from Texas, but. I don't know. I just I, I think we saw last year the gap between Oregon and USC was was pretty substantial when they played head to head. That defense is is so good, and I don't worry as much about that offensive line. I mean, usually losing four linemen is a is a huge cause for concern, but Mario Cristobal just recruits and develops that position so well. So I'm I'm with Kenny here. I I, I like uh, I like the North to to take the championship. I. I think two games that jump out to me when it comes to Oregon to think about, uh, one, especially with no uh, out-of-conference games, going to be uh, October 3rd, and that's when the Huskies go to Austin Stadium. And that'll be interesting because Huskies, I would argue, also has one of the best defenses in the Pac-12. They certainly have NFL talent all over on that defense. They got really close last year. And then that'll be set Oregon's second game, breaking in a new quarterback and breaking in a new offensive line. I would anticipate a very low-scoring game in both of those affairs. Or in, in that game, I think both offenses will be stymied. So if it gets close, anything can happen. And then the following week, I think people sleep on Cal. I think Cal is going to be a team to be reckoned with. I really like Justin Wilcox. I, I would side with Kenny here as well as far as the Pac-12 winner probably going to be Oregon. But I, I tell you I tell you what, guys, those early season games with Washington and Cal – 
and then you followed up by Stanford. I think they're going to be tested early, and let's see what that offense has got, and let's see if they're able to score as much as they were able to last year yeah. with that experienced offensive line, and a lot of that you know, has to do with, you know, a lot of people consider that the best offensive line in football last year. So Oregon certainly has a long way to climb. I think, I don't think it's as easy as, oh, Oregon's going to win outright, but I mean, they're going to be tested early and it's going to be, they're going to be thrown to the better defenses in the Pac-12. So let's see if they get out of there unscathed. If they get out of there unscathed, I think that they, they, they cakewalk to the Pac-12 championship. I like USC as well. My only challenge with SC is that do they have enough to hang with an Oregon? Uh, do they have enough talent to hang with Oregon both on offense on, and on defense? Well, let's see. They're going to have a whole season to get ready for them and win the South, and let's see what happens in the Pac-12 championship. So I agree with you. I think it's going to be Oregon, USC, uh, but I don't think that Oregon high steps and blows everyone out. I think, that, again, like I said, they're going to be challenged early. I just see Oregon being very similar to, like, Clemson in the ACC. They're just – they're so much deeper than everybody else in the conference from top, from like even a depth perspective. And not only that, one of the things that I didn't even mention it is Joe Moorhead's their new offensive coordinator. So you bring in a piece like Joe Moorhead, who runs a very quarterback friendly system. I think it's just another, it's another yeah. check mark for that team. I, I just, I think the Pac 12 is gaining for sure, but I just don't think it's this year. Yeah. So, so I, I, you mentioned Clemson though, and that's where I was going to go with it. Is like USC is Clemson in the sense of they've got no one else to play. Like Clemson doesn't have anyone else playing the ACC. Where to Glessner's point, in the North, you just have you have Cal- California, you have Washington, you have way more competitive teams for Oregon to go through with all these new changes. Where USC is a known commodity, and their biggest game is Arizona State, who really is not on the same level as yeah. them. So like they're by default will make it there, and we, by default you don't know if Oregon will. Yeah, I think I, – I, I'll disagree with you, Kenny. I don't think Oregon is by and away the best team in the – I, I don't put them on a Clemson level because Clemson is just so much better in the Pac-12. I would say that the Huskies are close, and I would say that USC is also somewhat close when it comes to a talent perspective. I just think that they've been able to get just a couple of elite guys that are just ahead of where they're at. I mean, last year, look, I mean – you know, they had a quarterback that was taking six overall, taking snaps, and nobody besides USC really had a quarterback that could do that. And let's see what they do this year and if they can replace that. And and I know, yeah, quote-unquote, he wasn't that, that great, but he was still a, a sixth pick in the NFL draft. So I, I don't think that they're running away the, the best when it comes to a talent perspective, but I do think that they're the best this year. I, I'll give you that, but I don't think it's like heads over – like a UW, but that's me. I'm biased. I'm a UW fan, so <laughs> whatever. Mike, Mike said I won the debate, so next. <laughs> that's, that's right. Close. That's right. All right, let's get into the meat of the show, guys. Kenny, let's start with you. Biggest storylines of the offseason here in the Pac-12. Yeah, well, Pastel mentioned it, uh, talking about USC. You know, Keaton Slovis is arguably the best quarterback in the conference. I know you can make a case for Jaden Daniels, but I think it is Keaton Slovis. Uh, can he? <laughs> here's the question. That's funny because it sounds like I'm arguing against myself now, but. Can he lead USC to a Pac-12 title? Can Keaton Slovis do it? Is this – can he take that next step, like Pastel talked about, from his freshman to his sophomore year and deliver the upset of, of Oregon, you know, who is the proverbial favorite to win the Pac-12? Is Oregon's defense elite enough to carry itself to a playoff would be another storyline. 
you know, we talked about Joe Moorhead. We talked about Tyler Shuck, who's probably going to be the starting quarterback. I know they brought in Anthony Brown, but I think Anthony Brown is more of a depth move. Tyler Shuck has experience in the program. He was a very highly, he was a very highly recruited quarterback in the country. He was a four-star recruit. So he has talent, but is, is, is he, is he, he's obviously going to have a learning curve. There's obviously going to be a little bit of a learning curve with him starting. Is Oregon's defense elite enough to carry its offense into a playoff? I think it is. Can Jaden Daniels take Arizona State to a New Year's Bowl? Because I don't think they're quite Pac-12 championship ready, but they are ascending. And Jaden Daniels had a really outstanding true freshman season last year. It's only normal to think he's going to take the next step. Another um, storyline is Jonathan Jonathan Smith complete the Oregon State rebuild and bring them to a bowl game. He's done a really, really good job in his limited time there to take to make them more competitive and to inch them closer to a bowl team, which I think Oregon State making a bowl game would be an absolute incredible job of coaching that Jonathan Smith has done, considering where Oregon, Oregon State has been the past five years. And then will UW bounce back under Jimmy Lake, or is it going to take a year? You know, it, it is – I have no doubt that Jimmy Lake can coach well, and but they've got a lot of new pieces in the coaching uh, side of things, and they've got a new quarterback. They've got a lot of new pieces on offense. They're bringing in a whole new system. They're going to be more of a, a north-south type of team than east-west, which they've been in the past. You know, can can he can he take him to the uh, yeah I know right can he can he take him to the next level or is it going to take a year to to really develop the chemistry under that new coaching staff? So those are kind of the storylines um, I saw. You know, what do you guys think out of all those? What do you think is more, more probable, more likely? Well, one thing you brought up there that I, I thought was interesting is the, the way you worded it. Can Jaden Daniels take Arizona State to, to a New Year's Six Bowl? Because I, I think that, that is what's going to have to happen with Arizona State because no longer does he have Eno Benjamin at running back, Brandon Ayuk at receiver. He's going to – he loses, I think, like four of his top five receivers. So mm-hmm. a lot more is going to be on his shoulders this year and there's going to be a lot of freshman receivers freshman running backs that are going to be uh, his weapons so I think there's at least the potential for a sophomore slump there Um, but obviously he's he was a super highly recruited guy so he could he could explode this year too but I think it's kind of a wide range of possible outcomes I do like the Jonathan I, I do like the Jonathan Smith thing you brought up, Kenny. Kenny lead Oregon State back to a bowl game. They actually performed pretty well last year. I believe they went five and seven, uh, and were pretty competitive in a lot of Pac-12 games. I I like John Jonathan Smith a lot. I thought he did a lot of really great things at UW as the offensive coordinator. So I'd like to see Oregon State get back there and be competitive. But again, the the North is loaded, and without any out of conference games to pad your schedule and get a couple wins under there, uh, they still may be a year or two away from getting to a bowl game. Uh, but I do like that that storyline. Is it's certainly one to watch. Hey, Gluss, I got a question for you, man, about UW football. I heard Jimmy Lake's coming in and kind of like really shaking up the things of how he wants to run that offense and offensive philosophies different than different than Chris Peterson. I feel like that in alone is going to take you know, if not a couple games, maybe a full off season, which they didn't have to really make UW the team that you know Jimmy Lake wants it to be. Yeah, I think they're going to struggle. I think it is going to take a year. Uh, no spring practice, no summer conditioning, uh, any of that. They still have a competition at quarterback that they have to figure out. Uh, new offensive coordinator John Donovan takes over. He was with the Jacksonville Jaguars before that. I believe he was a Penn State. You know, he was with James Franklin at Penn State. So 
I think it is going to take a year to get used to that because the offensive philosophy is different. You know, under Chris Peterson, they generally like, and my brother would always tell me this when he went to coaching clinics, like, we don't, we don't have an offense. We just run plays. Right. <laughs> and, and there was a lot of East to West, a lot of RPO stuff. It, it was, to me, it was a little too finesse for what they had. Now, here's what I will say is they've got talent all over the field, both on offense and on, especially on defense. I mean, if they're going to win games this year, they're going to win games 21-17, 28-27, just because they are so dynamic on defense and what they have. But, I mean, the offense does have talent. But the whole thing is, you know, how's it going to take to get used to that offense? Are they going to have – uh, the quarterback to do it. That's why I think the Sacramento State quarterback that came in is is huge because he's a running quarterback. So you don't have to install this vastly complicated, you know, passing game and 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 running game and, and do kind of the things that they've done in the past. I think if they want to play eleven on eleven football, they certainly have the quarterback to do it in Kevin Thompson. So that's why I think it's yeah. easy for him to come in, get the job, and get them competitive quick. Uh, it won't be a lack of talent. Uh, it's certainly just going to be a lack of chem, or uh, it's going to kind of consist on chemistry and and how quick they can pick up the offense in a really short amount of time. Yeah, for for me, the biggest storyline is is Oregon. I think they're the Pac-12s, like I, like I said, the Pac-12's best chance at a playoff team. And Mike actually, uh, Mike and, and his crew talked about on their show the other day talked about X factors, and Tyler Shuck was the X factor, and I think he's the biggest X factor in the entire country. Because if he's the real deal, if he can play like the real deal, then I think Oregon is a legitimate playoff contender. But if he's marginal or average or they have to rely on Anthony Brown, who Anthony Brown is solid, but I saw him play a bunch in Boston College last year. He's not great. He's not an upgrade or even on the same class as Justin Herbert. So if he's starting, that means they're going to they're going to take a hit at the quarterback position. So I, I think Oregon's defense needs to be elite to carry its offense to a playoff. But I also think Tyler Shuck is the – that's the biggest X factor, as Mike brought, as Mike and, and Cosmo Bros talked about yeah. the other day. He's the biggest X factor. If, he's, if he can play legit, Oregon's a Pac-12 playoff contender, no question. Yep. Now, Pac-12 oh, sorry, playoff, con- playoff contender. There you go. <clears throat> Pastel, let me throw it over to you. The team that has the most to prove here in 2020, who do you got? I think that's actually pretty easy from a Pac-12 standpoint, and that's got to be UCLA, right? I mean, the fact that Chip Kelly you – know, think about this. We talked about Pac-12 three years ago when Chip Kelly came to UCLA. We thought, like, it was only a matter of time before he got that offense rolling. UCLA was going to be relevant. And UCL, UCLA should be relevant without Chip Kelly just because of the name. It's, you know, it's, it's uh, uh, USC, UCLA, Washington, Oregon, usually, like, the biggest names in that conference. UCLA has been absolutely – irrelevant irrelevant since he's been there and he has a losing record so after three years I think if there's a team that has the most to prove it's UCLA they have their quarterback Dorian coming back to his uh his third year so like there's no more excuses on does he have his guy he's got his guy with experience he's got his running back returning he's got a lot of returning athletes besides his tight end that uh I think just got drafted by the New England Patriots but like there's no more excuses for Chip Kelly to not have a winning season and go to a bowl game if not even really, I'm sure for UCLA fans, compete for a Pac-12 championship when arguably the Pac-12 South is somewhat down with Arizona State's going to be good. USC, like I said, is going to be good. But outside of that, I think Utah's down uh, and a bunch of other schools are down. So I think if there's ever a year for UCLA to have the most approved, it's absolutely this year. Mike, from a 
USC perspective, what, what do you think of UCLA? Kind of what's the sentiment down there when it comes to that program? And, and we've talked about it on a previous podcast that UCLA is an interesting one because they've always had high-profile coaches come in there, and that program is just always teetered on the line of mediocrity. Yeah, I, I thought Chip Kelly was going to be the answer there because Jim Mora was able to recruit extremely well, and it's fairly easy to recruit extremely well to, to UCLA. So I thought, all right, Chip Kelly's going to come in. He's got a big name. Even if he doesn't try too hard to recruit, you'd, you'd think he's going to pull in top 10, top 15 classes. And then on the field, I had some confidence based on what he did at Oregon, but none of that has come to fruition. His first recruiting class was a disaster. Um, second one, better, but but still not where, where Jim Mora's classes were. So I, I was of the belief year two, there was going to be a big year two jump. And obviously that didn't happen. So I'm, I'm not going to be predicting it for year three because, I mean, Dorian Thompson Robinson, he's, he's, he's got the talent, but it just hasn't come together. He turned the ball over way too much, put the ball on the ground with fumbles. I think he threw 12 picks. I don't know. And the defense hasn't been good. There's just not a lot of reason for optimism at UCLA, especially compared to what we thought, you know, a year or two ago. Yeah, I think Chip Kelly's got a lot of work down there to do. I mean, I remember watching him last year in a couple games, watching him in the opener against Cincinnati, and it was – Cincinnati's a really good G5 program, and I get that, and Luke Fickle's got them on the right track. But, man, it was a disaster. I mean, a Pac-12 team shouldn't go into Cincinnati, and to be quite honest with you, embarrass themselves from what they showed on offense. And for an offensive guy to roll that out was a little bit shocking to me, especially in year two. So I tend to agree with you, Michael. I think it's going to be a struggle for them to to get back on their feet, and they still may be another year away uh, to getting anything competitive on the field. So Sports are coming back, and so are your chances to bet on your favorite teams and events. And there's no better place to start than our exclusive partners, Bet Online. Get in on the action for this week's big UFC fight or check out odds on NASCAR, Formula One, and the Premier League. Can't wait for your team to come back? Bet Online has futures odds, including win totals, division winners, and even league championships. Check out daily simulations of Madden and NBA 2K to watch and wager on. Visit betonline.ag and use promo code BLUEWIRE to receive your new welcome bonus. That's promo code BLUEWIRE. Bet online, your online wagering experts. Kenny, let me kick it over to you. What team other than Oregon in the North do you think can compete for a Pac-12 championship? Well, I think you're going to love this answer, Gless, and I think it's the University of Washington. Boom, um, let's go. We talked about it with the blue chip ratio the other day, about having, they have 50% of their rosters made up of blue chip athletes, which are four- and five-star recruits. So you know the talent is there. They have an abundance of talent. They have an abundance of great recruiting classes that Chris Peterson has strung together. So it's not like Jimmy Lake is taking over an empty cupboard. But the biggest question is, is can he, in a shortened offseason, get enough team chemistry going, get enough installed to where they're going to be consistent? I don't quite think they can leap Oregon, but I do think they're going to be competitive. I think they have enough talent on defense. Their secondary is phenomenal with Elijah Molden, Trent McDuffie, and Keith Taylor. Like, that's a no-fly zone at cornerback. They have a tremendous experience in the secondary. Um, They have, you know, decent talent on offense. I think one of the most – I think one of the things that's really going to help them is Richard Newton. 
he's a big running back. He's a big physical guy. And I think what we're going to see out of UW this year is we're going to see a lot of ball control and offense, and they're going to do things to really supplement what their defense does. They're going to try and keep their defense fresh. They're going to play keep away. So their defense, when their defense does come on the field, they can absolutely dominate opposing teams' offenses because that's going to be their strategy, I think, this year. The key to UW winning is low-scoring physical football. And I think they do have the pieces to it, together for that. So I think if anybody can compete with Oregon, it is them. I, I still am not convinced, though, that they can at least this year. Now, if, if, if this was year two under Jimmy Lake, I'd, be a, I'd have a lot more faith in UW. But that said, they're loaded with talent. They're loaded with depth. And I, I wouldn't be surprised if that is the team that could unseat Oregon or surprise Oregon in the North. Yeah, I would agree that, that Washington is that, that second team. And especially because last year you might look at their record and think, eh, they weren't very good. But they were 0-4 in one-score games. So... And I think they were top 20 in, in Sagarin rankings. So mm-hmm. they, were, they were better than, than people thought. And as much as we talk about all the turnover and changes with the coaching staff, I mean, the defense, there isn't a lot of change, right? You got Jimmy Lake. You got Pete Kwiatkowski running the defense yep. and a ton of re- returning production. So that, that side of the ball will be great. And offensively, it's not like they set the highest bar last year to clear. <laughs> Jacob Easton... Oh was, well, <laughs> judging by that reaction, I think you were underwhelmed by Eason. So between Kevin Thompson, uh, the Sac State transfer, or, or if it's Jacob Serban, I think one of them could, could meet that, that production from last year. Guys, a name to keep in mind, I watched the uh, All-22 film, a couple of UW games last year. I watched the USC game, and then I watched the Oregon game. And Levi Onwarziki, uh, he's a senior out of uh, – Allen, Texas. This guy is just an absolute beast, and he's a uh, he's a uh, all first team All American like preseason. And this guy is just an absolute monster at the zero and one technique. I mean, he reminds me a lot of Nadama Kinsu, just how much havoc that he wreaks in the backfield. I was so impressed when I watched the Oregon game and taking that offensive line, and he was just manhandling centers and guards all over the field the entire game. So keep an eye on him. I think he's a guy that could potentially be a Pac-12 player of the year or a Pac-12 defensive player of the year, really be kind of that dominant uh, defensive force. And, you know, UW's had a really great line of defensive uh, defense alignment. You know, you look at the Danny Shelton's of the world. Uh, you know, guys that they're able to, the Vita Veas, people that they're able to put in the league, and he's just going to be another guy that really falls into that mold. That mold. Mm-hmm. So keep an eye on him. I think he's a, I think he's a guy that really could wreak havoc on a lot of offenses in the Pac-12. So, Patho, switching uh, to you, uh, you know, we know that Utah won the South last year, but aside from them, uh, who can compete with, with them at the top uh, to win that Pac-12 South? Who do you see? Yeah, so I think there's only one team, and that's not to include Utah. I really, don't, I think Utah, Utah lost too many uh, seniors this past year that I don't think they're going to be able to compete. I think Arizona State is really that team. Uh, you know, led by Herm Edwards and Jaden Daniels. Jaden Daniels is counting that Keaton Slovis level in the sense of he was one of the better true freshmen in America last year, and he had 17 intercept, uh, sorry, 17 touchdowns, only two picks. He was very efficient with the ball. They never really put them in, you know, tough situations to turn the ball over for the most part. But you kind of saw the development as the games went on. He started to win games close. He also lost a few games close. I mean, their five losses, which they were 8-5 and five last year, they lost by four of them came within 10 points. So they're always about a touchdown away from winning those games. And I think 
Jaden Daniels, a lot of people are saying, like, you know, taking that, that second-year leap. Well, he was 165 pounds last year. And I was listening to Herm Edwards speak a couple weeks ago. He's gained about 20 pounds in the offseason. He's up to about 185, if not 190. So when he was slider frame quarterback last year, he has now gained that weight to really be about an average-sized quarterback, which, which he had to do to take those type of hits in college football. So I think you got one of the most ascending quarterbacks in college football coming back to your school. Yes, that offense lost a lot. It lost its best running back, a lot of good receivers. Their offensive line was never really that good. Um, but you got offensive coordinator coming over from Boise State, Zach Hill, uh, who was a, obviously a very efficient coach at Boise State and quarterbacks coach. So I think he's going to be able to develop uh, Jaden Daniels to that next level. They also have a pretty good defense. And that defense probably has the, the best uh, linebacking crew. I'm trying to think of their name for a quick second. Uh, Martin Robinson and Darian Butler. Yes, probably arguably the best two linebackers like, as far as a tandem in the Pac-12. So I think they have a pretty good defense. They've got the quarterback. And we all know in college football, probably more than the, in the NFL, can really bring a whole team forward. Like Lamar Jackson literally brought uh, Louisville and made them relevant and won 11 games with them. I think if there was a team to do it, it's Jaden Daniels and Arizona State. Not necessarily because of what talent they have, but just how good uh, Jaden Daniels is. They have Marvin Lewis now who was kind of a, an advisor last year. He is now the co-defensive coordinator. And if there's one thing Marvin Lewis is known for is defense. I mean, he made the, the Baltimore Ravens what they were in the early 2000s. And honestly, made Cincinnati, besides the last few years in his tenure, a pretty solid defense as well for most of that time. So I think he's going to come in there and really just make that Arizona State defense better than what it already was last year. The, the, real, the real work is who's going to step up running back, who's going to step up a wide receiver, and can that offensive line develop. And if they can, then they can absolutely make a run at the Pac-12 South and challenge USC uh, if they slip up at all. And really, that'd be the one team that has a chance to really compete with them. Man, Pastel, guess what? I, I'm sorry, Kenny, guess what? I, I think we need to go on Arizona State's website and buy a bunch of swag and send it to Pastel because not only did he get his Cincinnati Bengals fix in by talking about Marvin Lewis, but he just hasn't stopped talking about the Sun Devils this whole podcast. <laughs> Hey, and, my, my, and to add to your point there, that one guy for Arizona State that I think is going to have a huge year, Frank Darby at yes. receiver. He's yep. he's kind of their their one guy that's coming back, and he could follow in that line of you know Nikhil Harry and and Brandon Ayuk. He's he should have a, a monster year. Yeah, I mean, you look at his numbers last year. He averaged nineteen point nine yards a catch, and he had eight touchdowns. I mean, he was extremely explosive. And I think with him being elevated to that number one spot, it's going to be really fun to watch the chemistry between Daniels and and Darby this season. One point of contention with Daniels: I gained thirty pounds of weight in the off season, so I think <laughs> I like he's that. not that. It's not much. <laughs> he's got probably a little more weight. muscle. That was really easy to do, actually. <laughs> Uh, right, but I also can ahead, I just go ahead, Mike. I want to I want to give give the case for Utah though because I I hear you they lose so much so it's kind of easy to write them off but okay you look at their offense I I think the offense could actually be fine because you got Jake Bentley coming in yes. from from South Carolina mm-hmm. I I like him and Brant Keithy at tight end one of the best tight ends in the conference great tight end yeah most of the O line is back so offensively they they should you know sustain the loss of of Zach Moss and Tyler Huntley. As, as well as you could expect. Defensively I, yeah. is where they are literally 130th in returning production, so <laughs> that that's going to be tough. But Morgan Scally almost always has a good defense. I know it's going to suffer quite a bit, but if he can just keep them, you know, top 40, then then maybe they've got a puncher's chance. 
yeah. But I think the, I think the one thing with Utah too is they they always have an identity. Like there's yeah. there's never a crisis of identity under under Whittingham. Like that's they've played the same type of football ever since he's taken over the program, and it's winning football. Like they do really well. So yeah, I I think you're right, Mike. I mean it's a lot of production to lose on defense, but remember they've also played without Zach Moss before. He he wasn't necessarily the pillar of health on offense. Yeah, you you lose 1,400 yards rushing, but They've been there. They've done that. They've they've successfully replaced them. I think they have guys in the wings. And Tyler Huntley was good, but he wasn't amazing. Like he wasn't an. You're not losing an all world quarterback. I think Bentley coming from South Carolina can definitely replace him and and be and provide the same type of production. Yeah, Kyle Whittingham, man, he always produces really good defenses over there. I tend to. You know, when you talk about teams that really identify with their head coach, that really what comes to mind. I mean, Utah is always going to be competitive. Uh, I actually think for who they are, they actually recruit somewhat decently. Uh, I think it's kind of a tough sell when you talk about some of the other programs. But they tend to get some of those Samoan kids in there uh, that really end up wreaking havoc on defense. And that was no more evident than last year. I mean, they they were really good on defense. And, and I hope that they can find more guys like that because they were – they were a lot of fun to watch them play last year at, on the defensive side of the ball. Now, sticking to quarterbacks here, Pastel, we, we both, we, I think as a show, we would agree that Keaton Slovis and Jaden Daniels are probably quarterback one, quarterback two in the Pac-12 as far as uh, production and who we expect to have big seasons. So who, what other quarterback in the Pac-12 uh, do you think could be a top-tier quarterback in the upcoming season? Yeah, so that's going to be Chase Garbers, the, the junior for California. And now that we're talking about teams that, like, actually have a shot, a shot to compete, I don't think we're giving enough love to California. And I won't go I too agree much with on that. them. But that's probably one that. of the better defenses in the Pac-12, if not, like, the second best defense in the Pac-12. And you got Chase Garbers, who, when he played for more than a half last year, he was undefeated. Like, he was 7-0 in all the games that he played for California when he played more than a half. Kind of just goes to show, which really was his efficiency. He was four, 14 touchdowns to three picks. He had over 1,700 yards passing, again, in a limited frame because he was injured, and that's the one thing. He's got to stay healthy, obviously. But he's got the defense to not put him in uncomfortable positions, which always helps. You have a strong defense, put your offense in friendly uh, positions. Don't put too much on the quarterback's shoulders, even though I think Chase can handle that. Uh, I, I think it just goes to speak to what California uh, can do. And then you got the Bill Musgrave, or Musgrave who's obviously a well-established coordinator, who I think is only going to help Chase Garbers take that next step. So outside of Slovis and Daniels, I, I know there's a couple other guys, the guy at Stanford and a couple other players, but I really think if there's a guy that really challenged that top-tier quarterback in the Pac-12, it's Chase Garbers. He just has to stay healthy. He's got the size of 6'2", 206. Just got to stay healthy, man. Just keep developing. He's going to be a true junior. Um, so I'm extremely excited to see what he can do with California. And, again, they're not going to put him in an uncomfortable position because that defense is so strong. I like Cal a lot. I, I, I do. They return a lot of players back on defense. Justin Wilcox is a defensive guy. That's really how he started to build that program. Uh, and it's really kind of a program that's up and up. And I'm happy. I, I, I'm a Justin Wilcox, Wilcox fan. I really like what he did. Obviously, at UW, you know, he's been at Boise. He's been at U, uh, USC uh, is another program that he's been at. So a guy that certainly knows the Pac-12 and really – might be able to sneak up on some people with a shortened kind of 2020 season, especially with a returning quarterback and a defense that looks to bring back most of its players. Um, so I, I like Cal. I'm with you there uh, as well, Pastel. 
Yeah, another thing Cal has going for them is they get both Washington and Oregon at home. So the other two oh, top contenders in the North. That's that's huge for Cal. There's no doubt about it. Um, Kai, and I'm just speaking as a Husky fan. I feel like we have every tough game on the road this year. We've got like Utah on the road. <laughs> sucks, We've got Oregon on the road. We've got Cal on the road. We go to USC. We're home. We go to Wazoo. I don't know. I Maybe. I think I think the one good thing, Gless, is. You know the silver lining of everything that's going on is if those are it might not be the worst year to have to go on the road because there's probably going to be no fans. So <laughs> at least it's not point. Point. at least it won't be a hostile environment. Like yeah, you're still going to have to travel to their place, but they're going to lose that home field advantage with the with how crazy the fans would be. That's actually a really good point. I didn't even think about that. I like that, Kenny. Hey, you know what? Now you gave me hope. I was so down <laughs> about thirty seconds ago. Now you gave me hope. I like it. <laughs> Kenny, go to you, man. Let's talk hot seat. What coaches are on a hot seat? What, what do you think? We always have them for several conferences. I think that there's two come to mind, and I think you're going to mention both of them. So what coaches do we think are in the hot seat here in 2020? Yeah, well, you know, Mike brought it up earlier with Chip Kelly. Um, you know, it just has not worked out at UCLA. He's not recruiting California like he did when he was at Oregon. Because remember, that, that was what sold me on his hire at UCLA was he really developed a pipeline to recruiting in California when he was at Oregon. And he just really hasn't been able to tap into it like I thought he would be able to when he came back to California. So that's been extremely disappointing. Um, you know, Dorian Thompson-Robinson is is a decent quarterback, and I think he has the ability. Pastel talked about Chase Garbers. I think DTR is a guy to really keep an eye on. If he figures it out, he could probably save Chip Kelly's job. But as of right now, Chip Kelly is extremely on the hot seat. He went 3-9 and nine his first year. Four and eight his second. Anything less than a bowl game this year, I got to think, is probably going to get him fired. Um, I think the next coach would be Kevin Sumlin. And, Gless, you and I talked a lot about this when he was hired. I don't even think Kevin Sumlin's maybe a bad coach because he did decent things at Texas A&M. Granted, that was under with, with, with uh, Johnny Manziel, and he was decent at Houston. But the problem was he took over an Arizona program that really – didn't have an identity. You had Khalil Tate, who was kind of this enigma. He had he was unbelievable from a rushing standpoint, for, uh, lethally uh, as a quarterback. And then they were going to bring in. Remember, there was rumors that they were going to bring in Ken Niatamalomo from Navy to come in and run the wishbone. And t- and Tate basically said, "Hey, I'm going to transfer if you guys bring in uh, Ken." And so they ended up hiring Kevin Sumlin. And Tate just never really fit into a system. You could tell every time Grant Gunnell came in last year, he looked better. He looked better in the system. So, but at the same time, Arizona was five and seven his first year. They regressed to four and eight this or last year. And again, I think he's in the same boat. If they don't make a bowl game this year, he's probably on his way out the door. Now, I do think he's positioned better than Chip Kelly. I really like Grant Gunnell. I think he's got a lot of upside, and I think he fits in the Sumlin system. So if they can make a bowl, I think that staves off the Wolves for another year because it's not like Arizona's this massive program anyway. They just need to be able to get bowl eligible and, and really start building some program momentum to save Kevin Sumlin. But if they don't make it, I think he's gone. And one guy I almost overlooked, and I don't know how I did it, is Clay Helton. <laughs> I mean, everybody thought he was going to be fired after going 8-5 and five at USC last year, and, and I don't know if maybe he was saved because they brought in a new AD, and Mike, you might be able to talk a little bit better th- at this than I would be able to. And my, my sense is he was saved because of the AD switch, and, you know, a lot of times maybe an AD's first act on the job doesn't want him to be the f- fire the head coach of the football program, you know, and, 
I mean, let's be serious. I, I think anything short of a Rose Bowl, Helton's probably out the door. And, you know, he's gone five and seven in 2018. He went eight and five last year, and those just aren't USC standards. He hasn't been to a Rose Bowl since 2016. But even then, he really hasn't put together amazing seasons. I mean, 2017 he went 11 and three. Um, you know, but it, it, that was a long time ago. 2017 was yeah. a long, long time ago. So I think he's probably the guy with the hottest seat and 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 almost unbearable expectations. He's got to be dang near perfect to keep his job this year. Yeah, yeah, he is, his seat is scorching hot. And I think it was kind of a, a money thing, that the reason they kept him. I think the biggest reason is it, it would just have cost the university a lot to, to let him go. So gave him one more chance. The one thing I do like about the new athletic director is he's he's invested in pieces around Clay Helton. So obviously Graham Harrell has, has worked out last year, but, but this year with the, with the new athletic director bringing in recruiting staff, they got Dante Williams from, from Oregon, a great assistant who's already making waves on the recruiting trail. So they're, they're trying to put Clay in a better position to succeed, but, but yeah, he, he can't afford, if he loses three games in Pac-12 play, I got to think he's out and even two, he, he might be. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I agree with that. And to be honest with you guys, I really only see that being the biggest P5 job that would come open, if, if, if any. And we've talked about that on this show. And, Mike, I don't know if you agree, but out of all – I feel like the last two years we've seen a lot of really big-time P5 jobs open and get filled. I'm not sure besides USC if we see any other big-time jobs open up. But USC is the one that jumps off – kind of jumps off the page just because of Clay Helton's seat and it being so hot. I, I really hope – I would really like to see P.J. Fleck end up at USC. And uh, Helton goes, I'm such a boy, big – Kenny. Dude, I think he would – you put him at USC, I think he could absolutely recruit nationally there and just energize that program like nobody's business. I mean, what he's done at Minnesota in three years has been fantastic. I would love to see him take over at USC. I think that would be a perfect fit for him. Yeah, not already to look past uh, Helton. Obviously, he's still got a chance to save his job. But, <laughs> but another guy, there's there's a connection between the the new athletic director Mike Bone. He came from Cincinnati. Ooh, I know Luke ooh, Fickle, Luke Fickle. Midwest Ohio guy. So I don't know if the fit is there. But man, can you imagine the way he'd recruit at USC, given the way he's recruiting at Cincinnati? Yeah, yeah, that's actually a good point. I actually didn't even think about that. That's a great connection there. So we are a prospect show, guys. So if we didn't talk about prospects, I think we'd be doing our our listeners a disservice. So, Paso, give me a, a defensive player and an offensive player that are good NFL prospects that fans really need to be made aware of here coming in 2020. Maybe guys that not like the normal college football fan would know about. Yeah, that's kind of what I was going on. Like we've talked about enough about the quarterbacks at this point. We talked enough about these big time athletes. Let's talk about guys that a lot of people just don't know about. And what about the running back at Oregon State, Jamar Jefferson? I mean, his true freshman year, he almost rushed for 1,400 yards on 239 carries, 5.8-yard uh, average, and also had close to 150 yards receiving. His sophomore year, he was a little bit more injured. He was a lot more banged up, actually. He only rushed for close to 700 yards and only uh, 85 yards receiving. But this guy, if you watch him play, he's just a very natural runner. When I say that, like, navigates his run lanes very well. He follows his blocks. He's very patient. He can hit the hole when he needs to hit hit it. The thing with him, he's not overly fast, so you're not going to see him really break the long one. People absolutely will catch up to him. But for, like, a slower guy, when I say slower guy, I think he's probably going to run a four high four fives, probably four six forty at the combine. 
Uh, but he's got some wiggle. So, like, inside the hashes, he can, like, you know, juke some guys. He has got, he's got a great spin move. So I think he's one of those guys that had production his freshman year. He was injured his sophomore year. I think he's going to kind of explode back onto the scene uh, his junior year and get back up to that 1,400-yard type of season, which I'm sorry, but if you're college running back at Oregon State, that's not known to have a lot of good football players on the team, and you can rush for 1,400 yards in two of your three seasons, like I think you're now an NFL prospect. Um, yes, he needs to get faster. I'm not sure if he can do that, but I think he's just such a natural runner that it's probably worth mentioning. Uh, and trust me, Oregon's a few players that are this year, especially on the defensive side, that are info caliber players. The other guy is Mustafa Johnson. The I don't know what you want to call him, defensive tackle, defensive end, the Colorado. And kind of a Colorado hybrid guy. Player. Yep. Yeah, and he's probably the worst. I mean, Colorado's probably the worst team in the Pac-12, but he's probably one of the best players in the Pac-12. And he's only six foot two, 290. My player comp for him was Tyson Alu, uh, Alu, which I think, Kenny, you probably can speak more on that. But uh, he's great in the run game, and he had great production in the in the pass rushing game. The guy, he had seven and a half sacks in 2018, four and a half last year. Again, very injury-plagued season. He had, he had over two seasons. He's got almost 21 tackles for losses. So he's explosive enough to get after the quarterback, not only from the outside when he's standing up, it's pretty thin, but he has a good uh, pass rush game on the inside as well from a different tackle. So I kind of see him translating to really being that three technique at the NFL level. I don't think at six foot two, 290, you're going to really fit the, the five technique in the NFL. I mean, he, and he might. He definitely might. He's got great hands. He, very, he uses his hands in a violent way. Um, he's got good gap discipline, which I think is very key for a defensive tackle at the three technique. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, you can get after the quarterback. You can do all these moves. But if you don't have good gap discipline, then you're really hurting the defense on multiple levels, especially at the linebacker level. So I think it's things like that that kind of hard to quantitate on the stat sheet. But it's things like that he does well that I think translates well to the NFL to the point where I see he could possibly be a second-round pick. And I think from a coach's uh, – like he's kind of a coach's dream. Like I think he does everything a coach wants to do. He just doesn't have that stereotypical six foot four, 300-pound type of uh, body, but everything else he does very well, and I think one more year of production. Staying healthy will prove point prove mm-hmm. to him to, you know, to really send himself into that day two uh, conversation. Yeah, we covered him at length in our defensive tackle uh, prospect show, and if you you're listening out there, you haven't seen that, go back listen to it. We talk about Mustafa Johnson at length. I love his size. He's definitely a hybrid defensive lineman. He can play the three technique. He can play the five technique. He can set the edge. Uh, to your point, Pasto, I, I don't think he's fast enough to play the five technique at the NFL level, but I think he's going to be a guy that's going to be able to bounce around. Had a fantastic 2018 season. His film is is really a joy to watch. It's fun to see a guy uh, make as many plays in the backfield that he did there in 2018. 2019, very injury, very injury plagued, uh, really never was 100%. So big 2020, I, I could see him being one of the more sought-out defensive tackle prospects in the entire draft process. So I'm glad that you brought him up. He's, he's extremely talented, should, should be a bright spot in, an, uh, in, a, in a very – kind of low program in Colorado, probably be one of the few bright spots you see out of all year out of him. So, Kenny, let's talk about must-see games. A uh, lot of lot of big-time games that we had in the Pac-12 that were out of conference. Now let's talk about the ones that are in conference. What are two that you really have circled on your calendar? I know. Pour, pour one out because I originally had Oregon-Ohio State. Obviously that's done. But uh, I think the two biggest games – 
for me that I saw were Washington at Oregon on October 3rd. I think that's the fight for the North. That'll decide the North. And then Arizona State at USC September 26th. I think that's going to end up being a game, when you look back on it, is probably going to decide the South. I mean, I, 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 for me, those are the two biggest games. I know we talked about Cal. We talked about Utah potentially you know, jumping in that mix. But for me, those are the two creme de la creme and conference games. Mike, what do you think about that Arizona State-USC contest? I think that one's going to be interesting for me because it, it will be the first game for both schools, and it's going to be such a – there's going to be so much riding on it, right, just because USC could possibly be the favorite. Arizona State's up and coming. Does Arizona State have enough to really challenge USC on September, uh, September 26th, really being the first game of the season? Yeah, it'll be interesting. I'm, I'm interested to see – uh, we, we talked to a lot about Arizona State's offense, but defensively, you brought up Marvin Lewis earlier. They're, they're switching to the, uh, a 4-3 defense from that, that 3-3-5 that, that's been pretty successful. So I wonder if, if they're going to have the depth on the defensive line to, to be able to run that, especially at the, the beginning of the season. Um, and, you know, USC going up against that offense, you're going to want to get a lot of pressure on, on Keaton Slovis. So yeah. that, that'll be an interesting matchup. Certainly want to keep an eye on, and really both those two games you said, Kenny, could really determine, you know, who's going to win that. It's really going to really skyrocket whoever wins each of those games and really be in the driver's seat as we are only dealing in conference play. So, guys, you finish up talking Pac-12 here. I got a five-pack of – not a six-pack because I didn't come up with six questions. I only came up <laughs> with five. Uh, Rapid-fire questions, no explanation. Just give it to me straight. So – First one, Graham Harrell, will he be a head coach after 2020? Uh, yeah, I, I, I think so. I think if they have a, if the offense takes another step forward, it might not be at <laughs> USC, but I think he will be a head coach um, in 2021, not 2020, Gluss. That sounded so much, like an explanation. That sounded like an explanation. That sounded yeah. like an explanation. <laughs> Sorry, I, I meant after 2020. That's what I meant, after 2020. Mike, what do you think? Uh, I agree with Kenny. I, I, I think he'll be a head coach. Yeah, same here, same here. Yeah, I, I think he'll end up going back to his roots in the Big 12 somewhere. I don't know where it'll be, but I think he'll be a head coach, no doubt about it. Wazoo's offense, let's talk about the Palouse. Switching to the run and shoot, Nick Rovalich coming in from Hawaii. Will they lead the Pac-12 in passing touchdowns? Yes. I'm going to go no. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to go all in on USC at this point. Yeah, I'll go no. I'll go Homer with uh, Keaton Slovis and, and Graham Harrell. Yeah, I'm going to go no as well. I think that USC will. But I think that they'll do second, though. Run and shoot. They'll be throwing it all around. Really a perfect fit, in my opinion. I'm really glad that he got hired at Washington State. I think it's going to be fun. Does Cal have a chance to upset either Oregon or Washington in the north? Yes. No. I'm going yes. I'm going yes as well. I think with a solid defense returning quarterback, I'm going Yes. Uh, Colorado over under four games. Kenny, start us off. Okay, there has to be an explanation on this one because there's no out of conference games anymore. So that the line, I don't think is, uh, I don't think that line is accurate. Uh, that over under anymore because for sure they're not going to win more than four conference games. No way. Let's go two. Let's go. Let's go two. Over under two conference uh, wins. Oh, go two. I'm, I'm still going to say under. I don't think they're going to go. I, I think if anything, it'll be a push. So I say under. Um, which also, Mike, you might be – just a quick question. So I have all these pending wagers on our sponsor, Bet Online, by the way, for these future props. Ooh, value Did, add. Are those all going to get – are those all going to get deposited back in my account? Like, how does that work? 
yeah, I have to imagine those are all going to be pushes because they all in the description it says you know must be twelve play twelve games to yeah. for it to be a bet. So yeah, you'll you'll probably get a push there. As the betting expert, I wanted to a- ask you. I had you on the nice. show. <laughs> oh, thank you. Yeah, yeah. I love how as the guest here, I come in and and make fun of Kenny for for giving an explanation <laughs> to his <laughs> Sorry, Kenny. It's all good, man. Hey, I tell you what, I'm looking at uh, Colorado's schedule right now, and I might give him one win to Arizona, possibly. Uh, so I, I I have to go under as well. This is horrible, but yeah, under. I'm I'm going under. It's I agree with Kenny. Seems like at worst a push. You know what? I'm going to go over because in, in no way, shape, or form did I think that the Huskies would travel to Boulder and lose last year. So I think they rip I, off a couple ones just because of the shortened. The short in the off season, I think they get lucky. I'm going. I'm going over there. I don't know why. I just that's all gut feel, by the way. Hey, they almost so beat salty USC they last year too. You said did they beat? They beat you. They, they almost beat USC too. So oh, yeah, that's right. right. I'm going over. Going over. Uh, all right, guys. Last Pac-12 winner. Who you got, Kenny? Oregon. Oregon. USC. <laughs> of course. Digging in. Uh, digging in, aren't you? That's a pastel trend, by the way. Yeah. All right, I, I got to finish up my rapid. I, I'm going to go Oregon as well. But I do not think that they will unscathed without a loss. I think that they'll have a conference loss, and I think they'll have it in the north. But I think that the, <clears throat> I think that the, the Huskies just don't have enough on offense, and I don't think Cal has enough on offense either. And I think that Oregon will be rolling by the end of the year, and I think whoever they play in the Pac-12 championship, I do think that they are the best team. So I'm going to go Oregon as well. Um, so, guys, that's the Pac-12. I think there's a lot of talent in this conference. There's a lot of questions, uh, especially with a shortened season. I think anything can happen, which I think is really a lot of fun to look. So, anybody listening out there, you know, turn on 1030, you know, watch Pac-12 at night. I think they're still doing that. Uh, a lot of great football to be had out there. A lot of great questions. A lot of great players. And, again, I, I still think as a, as a bias that the Pac-12 doesn't get a lot of grip that it should nationally. Uh, as I do think that there are a lot of really great programs out there, Oregon obviously being the top of it right now. But you guys are listening out there. Make sure you watch some Pac-12 games, a lot of great offense out there, a lot of great defense as well, really a lot of good college football players that expect to play on Sundays that you'll see. So kind of rounding out the show here, guys, let's talk. You know, we always end with a prospect to watch. Those who have never listened before, this is where we take a college football prospect that you may not know about that may play for a smaller school, may uh, play for a G5 program that really could knock down the door in the NFL, be taken on day two or day three, and really be a starter in the NFL. So, Kenny, why don't you talk about uh, Tommy Doyle, offensive tackle out of the Miami of Ohio? Yeah, I really like this guy. He's 6'8", 325 pounds, so he's obviously got you know elite size. He was first-team All-Mac last year, and he played hockey in high school, so you know he's got a mean streak. I mean, being offensive lineman is enough of a mean streak, but then you, you play a tough sport like hockey. He's definitely a physical guy. He's a three-year contributor at Miami of Ohio with 27 starts. He started 14 games at right tackle, and he started 13 games at left tackle, and he'll be playing primarily at left tackle this year. He's a devastating run blocker. Miami's had one Behind him, Miami's had one of the best run programs, run offenses in all of the MAC, and he's getting better at pass blocking. He only allowed two sacks last year. And, guys, he played two out-of-conference games last year against Iowa and against Ohio State. So he had to go up against A.J. Epinenza and Chase Young. And, again, 
he only gave up two sacks all last year. So for someone who's still getting better at pass blocking, that's a very big feather in his cap. And not only that, not a lot of people know this, but the Buffalo Bulls have two outstanding edge rushers in Taylor Riggins and Malcolm Kuntz, who are both likely day two NFL picks. So that's another set of guys he had to face last year in conference. So, you know, when looking at him, he faced pretty much elite-level edge rushers a lot of the year last year and came out on top most of the time. So I think he – right now he's a strong day-two pick. I think he's a he's a mid to late second rounder. I think he's more of a mid-second rounder with the outside possibility of being a day-one first-round pick with his size if he can truly become dominant and really fill out even further and prove that he can be athletic at 68325 i think the sky could be the limit for him like i said he's just raw that's the thing he's he's just he's raw and he still needs to be molded but i'm very excited to see what he can do and how he can elevate his game going into his senior season yeah, certainly a prospect to watch, and you get these Mac guys every once in a while, man. Especially out of the yeah. especially out of the Ohio schools, there's a lot of talent in the state of Ohio high school talent that really gets overlooked and doesn't get to go to Ohio State just because you, Ohio State gets the best of the best. So a lot of these guys kind of leak through. Uh, maybe a guy that had the size in high school but hadn't developed yet. So certainly got it to uh, keep an eye on. Certainly has the size and definitely has the experience. So and look, definitely got not- it. It's not unheard of to have a Mac guy go in the in the top portion of the draft, especially number one overall. I mean, the Chiefs remember took Eric Fisher number one overall out of Central Michigan. He was an offensive tackle, so That's it's right. not it's not out of the realm of possibility that he could. I'm not saying number one that he could work his, but that he could work his way up into a day one pick. So, hey, uh, Mike, before we wrap up here, I just wanted to uh, say thanks for coming on, man. And, and why don't you tell our fans where they can um, you know find your content, find your show, and and just kind of plug your show a little bit and, and, and talk a little bit about it. Sure, yeah. Thanks for having me. Uh, so I do the College Football Bros podcast with, with my, my two older brothers. Uh, so we just we do a show, just national college football show once a week. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at CFB Bros. Uh, we're on YouTube as well if you want to find us there. So, yeah, I mean, my two brothers aren't as intelligent and certainly not as good looking as, as you guys, but uh, we do our, I do my best That's to so carry nice. them, you know. I That's agree. so nice. <laughs> well, we appreciate it, Mike. Thanks for having yeah, me. I appreciate I, you. I, I will say, like, hey, it's a great podcast. If you haven't listened to it, absolutely listen to it. It's fun, exciting. It's very, like, dynamic in the sense of how they set it up. So it's very – it, they jump from subject to subject that I just absolutely love hearing. So it's a great podcast, Michael. Absolutely keep keep up the good work. Thank you. Yeah, you, thank- you sell it a lot better than me. I appreciate it. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I get All right, guys. All right, guys. Let's get out of here. We've been talking about the Pac-12 too much. I'm going to have dreams about it tonight. Uh, so it, it means it's probably about time to go. Again, you guys can always follow and interact with the show on social media, on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram. That's at Prospects101Pod. We're posting all of our new episodes and content throughout the week on there. Uh, you can also listen to us on your favorite podcast platform. Please subscribe to stay up to date with all the episodes. Again, we have Pac-12 content coming out. Uh, guys, before we know it, we've covered all the conferences. We're, we're marching through the Power Five. So guys like Power Five, like college football content, make sure you subscribe uh, to get all that content that's upcoming into opening day, which I guess will be sometime in September. So we'll see. 
Uh, make sure you give us a five-star review as well. We really appreciate that. That really helps out the show a lot as far as gaining new followers uh, and helps us inside of the rankings. So we really appreciate if you guys give us a five-star review. And for Mike from College Football Bros, for Pastel, for Kenny, I'm Gless. Look forward to some more Pac-12 content coming out later this week.